morning. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about Jesus, which I guess is a good thing to talk about at church, isn't it? But we've talked about his transformation where he became the lamb uh, and the transformation of this, uh, the Lord's Supper uh, and, and his deliverance. Uh, we also, last week, talked about um, the powerful actions he did. Well, the air is blowing hard this morning. Uh, and uh, showing his abiding love for us. And uh, this morning, we're going to focus in on the day of his crucifixion. Now, I know it's Palm Sunday, but when you only have four Sundays kind of in the Easter season, you got to kind of fit everything in where you can. And so this morning, we want to drop into Luke chapter 23 into some various verses. But where we're going to pick up at is this. The, the judgment has been passed by Pilate, and Jesus has been sentenced to death. Now, that's a terrible sentence for anyone. But in the first century Judea, that was an awful sentence because typically the way they would carry that out would have been by crucifixion. And you and I think, well, death's bad. Well, crucifixion is cruel. And he has been beaten to within an inch of his life. He's had a crown of thorns pressed into his head. He has been mocked. He has been taunted. And he's been told to carry the cross piece of the cross, at least the cross piece, out through the city streets and out to the place where he would be killed. And in this transition through from the pavement inside of the garrison where the soldiers were housed, through the streets of Jerusalem, Jesus couldn't keep going. The weight was too much, and he fell on his knees, struggling with the moment he's in. If you know the story, a guy named Simon from Cyrene was ordered to pick up the cross and to carry the cross. But as Jesus was on the ground, before he was able to get back up and move on, he speaks to the crowd. And I want us to look at four, three different times he speaks and then one outcome of all of it. And it begins in verse 28. And But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, if you're like me, you read that passage, you're going to go, Huh? Because it's, it's very prophetic and it's kind of cryptic in a sense, but mixed into the crowd of these people who, as they watched Jesus go down these narrow stone paved streets on the way to the crucifixion, in that crowd were women, women of the city, women who loved Jesus, women who hated Jesus, women who followed Jesus, women who had nothing to do with Jesus. And yet in that moment, Jesus turns and speaks to all of them collectively and says, whoa, Don't weep for yourselves. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. For they're the ones who are going to be under the judgment and actually already were under the judgment of sin. They were the ones who were going to face the consequences of their choices. They were the ones who needed forgiveness. And that's what Jesus was doing that moment, walking to the cross. They're going to face the wrath of God without the redemption of Jesus. They're going to face the death that is earned by every single one of us without forgiveness. And he stands there as 
the wood is green. He stands as the tree. Not just hung on a tree, but the tree who would stand to provide the propitiation, propitiation for the sin of all. So he calls people to understanding is what he wants them to do. He says, listen, understand, pick up what's going on. You have a need. I'm here to meet it. Their next words come after he's been crucified. He's had nails thrown and thrust to his probably wrists. He's had them through his feet, his ankles. He's on a cross. He is effectively dead, but he's still alive. He's still speaking. He's still breathing. He's still in the moment. He still has his conscience. He still understands what's going on. The next words we come to are in response to one of the criminals hanging on the cross. You realize Jesus wasn't crucified alone. Jesus wasn't the only man crucified in his day, not just on his day, but in his day. And next to him was a a man on one side, and on the other side was another man. One reviled Jesus, and one asked Jesus to do him a favor, to do something for him, to change his life. And, And the question that the comment that the man made was this, Jesus, remember me when you come into my kingdom. And he asked Jesus, says, don't forget me, take me with you. And in response to that, here's what we have, Jesus' response, he says... Yes. Don't you like it when you ask somebody to do something for you and they say, yes? Don't you appreciate it when someone you want to help help you, they say, yes? Jesus looks at him and says, yes. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me where? In paradise. He was in his own way, my friends, asking Jesus to save him. You're thinking, well, he didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't do the right prayer. He didn't do the right words. He didn't do it. Listen, God doesn't have a formula that we have to respond with. He has a heart that he calls us to have. And this man has a heart that says, I need you. I need you. And Jesus says, today you will. What happens here is nothing short of a complete forgiveness of sin. Now, you might be thinking, does that mean he had a long life ahead of him? No. He was just as dead as Jesus was about to be. I mean, it just wasn't an option. Very few people came off of crosses and lived. But in this moment, this man is saying, I need you. And I can't even begin to imagine the, the agony that they were experiencing, the pain they were feeling. And yet in this moment, one man curses Jesus, one man reviles Jesus, but the other man does what? He says, I need you. I need you. I need you. And Jesus says, yes. When we come down to our next words are in verse 46, we find Jesus do something amazing. According to secular histories, they, it's amazing to us to think that a person in the situation that Jesus and these two men were in that day, that they could actually hang in that situation, listen, for days. You think, well, gosh, how can you survive in that moment? You'd dehydrate, you'd dry out, you'd be, be just in writhing in pain. How can you hang in there that long? But history tells us that multiple people lived two, three, sometimes four days before they'd finally give up. But in this moment, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been on the cross about six hours. It's not even a day, my friends. This form of execution was agonizing, slow. It was the point the Romans were making mess with us, we'll put you there too. Hang in there with us and we'll take care of you. 
And they would do that in the most spectacular way possible to make the greatest impact possible. History tells us that crucifixion came out of what is today Iraq, Iran, that area over that part of the world. Years and years ago, the Romans encountered it. They said, hey, this is a great idea. Let's use it. And they adopted it into their punishment system. And it was at this place at the crossroads just outside the walls of Jerusalem, a place called, in one language, Golgotha, in another language, Calvary. That's the same meaning, place of the skull. That Jesus, the carpenter from Galilee, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, died in just six hours. Now, what gives? I want you to catch this because this is part of the power of Christ on the cross. Is when that moment came and he gets to this place, he does something that is truly amazing. He does not have his life taken from him. Friends, listen. He doesn't have his life ripped from him. He says, I'm going to lay it down. Oh, friends, get this for you. He lays his life down for you. And he says in this moment, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He makes a choice in that moment to not hang in there, to not be on that moment, on that cross any longer than he had to be, to not be abused, to not stay there. And he says, God, I'm going to give you myself because I know what these people can have as a result. And having said that, he did what? Breathed his last. Friends, I want you to hear this. He loves you regardless of your past. He loves you regardless of what you have done or haven't done. He loves you whether you fully believe in him yet or not. He loves you even if you followed him for years and years. He loves you. And he did this act on your behalf and on my behalf. And he did this because he made not just a way to come to God, but the only way to come to God. He laid his life down for you and me. There's an old song that we used to sing some time ago. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he do? Oh, how he loves you. And oh, how he loves me. And then with his death happening so rapidly and him situation of not having children of his own, obviously, or a wife to care for him, somebody had to deal with his body. I'm, I'm here to remind you, when someone dies, that means there's a body that has to be dealt with. Jesus didn't just swoon. He didn't just seem to disappear for a little bit. He died. Died completely on the cross. You're going, what's that matter? Because without his substitution in our place, our redemption is not possible. But he died. And then what are you going to do with a dead body? Well, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea, probably north of Jerusalem. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut into stone where no one had ever yet been laid. Jesus was then committed to a grave. Again, let me remind you, you don't put live people in dead body into a coffin. You don't put a person who's alive in a casket. You don't put people who are still living in tombs. Jesus was committed to a grave. Now, it seems like Joseph had already apparently prepared a new tomb for his and his family to use. It's probably you're thinking they used the tomb for more than one person. Yeah, they did. 
they would uh, understand that the, the human body decays over time and you could always reuse the space and you just push what's left over to the side. And some of you are thinking, ooh, gross. You know, they do that in New Orleans today with the above ground burials they have. They do it in all parts of the world. But in this moment, Joseph's place had never been used and likely aided by Nicodemus. They're standing in this place. They're going, what are we going to do with Jesus? He's our friend. We love him. He's made a difference in our lives. Let's step in. And so being pressed for time because sun was about to set, Sabbath was about to begin, they hurriedly wrap his body in linen cloths and they push him into a rock shelf in the tomb and they roll a stone across it to prevent animals from getting in there because they will do that. And this place was donated by, Jesus, by, by Nicodemus to bury the real, dead Jesus. People are thinking, that's morbid, Pastor. Oh, no. His death is what makes our salvation possible. His death is what makes forgiveness available. His death is what gives us the opportunity to have a new life. This place, they bury him, and these men took his body from the place of crucifixion. They put him in the grave, and they bury him. He was dead. So they buried him. So what do we do with this part of the story? We know the story's not done. We know that Resurrection Sunday's coming. But we've got to hang on to that part of the story for next week, Okay. But what do we do with this part of the story? I want you to hear this very plainly and clearly, my friends. Salvation is available today. You know, I don't know if I need that. My friends, we all need salvation. We all need forgiveness. We all need to be set free from the sinfulness that we're born into, that we choose to live in, and that we are stuck in without deliverance. And the work that was completed by Jesus at the cross was not just him dying at the end of his life. Oh, it was that. But it was also him purchasing for you pardon, forgiveness, salvation. You know, most of us think we have all the time in the world, don't we? We think we're going to live forever, don't we? We think we're going to have all the the days ahead that we want. But the stark reality is this. Every single one of us has a moment coming when death will come to our lives and knock. And the answer will be, I'm here for you. And that moment's too late to make the decision. You've got to make that decision before then. You've got to make that commitment before then. That's why I'm here to tell you, my friends, salvation is available today. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to hope it happens. On either side of Jesus were two men who had come to their expiration day, and their deeds had resulted in them being uh, justly crucified. Their lives were over. But on the cross, as Jesus hung there dying for your sin and my sin, there were people even there, one who cursed him and one who asked him for forgiveness. Which one are you going to be? Which one are you? The one who goes, I don't need Jesus. All that religious stuff's all right. It's good for those people who are weak-minded, who need help, who don't have a clue, that think they don't understand. Or are you like the man who says, would you remember me in paradise today? Salvation's available for all. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, reminding them of his work on the cross. And he says this, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
I'm here, my friends, to remind you and to share with you, if you have never experienced his forgiveness, if you've never come to that place where you said, Jesus, I need you more than anything else in life, that is the most important decision you will ever make in life. It's one that will change you. Second, what happens when you do that? Well, this is pretty straightforward. Surrender leads us to God's side. You're going, well, whose side am I on? I'm here to, 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 to tell you this morning, there's only two sides. You're either with God or you're against God. You go, well, I'm going to be in the middle. Well, there is no middle. The only place you can be is with him or not with him. You're either following him or not following him. You're on his side or you're not. And surrender when you say, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness and I understand your salvation is available for me today. When you make that decision, here's what happens. It leads you from your own world to being on the side of God. There's a lot of ramifications for that. We don't have the time to go into all of them. But the most important is this. We enter into an intimate relationship with the Son of God who walks with us and talks with us and lives in fellowship with us. You're no longer alone. The relationship is one in which our entire lives are transformed day by day by day. And His presence is with us always. And as we do that walk, as we walk with Him, as Christ is at our sides and God's in our lives, we come to the place where we really begin to understand it's not about us, it's about Him at work in us. And we really do pray just like Jesus did in the garden the night before, it's not my will but yours be done. You know, so often we think we can falsely believe that we can master the world. I can be the boss, I can be in charge. I'm here to tell you, my friends, I can't be in charge of anything without Jesus leading because the pathway of surrender leads us to a better life. Here's what Jesus said earlier in Luke. He said, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And get this, he said this some months before he was crucified. And let him deny himself and what? Take up his cross. Not just once, but daily. And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake We'll save it. You're going, but I like to be in charge. Me too. Me too. But every time I'm in charge, you know what happens? Some of you know. I mess it up. I want to tell you, sometimes when y'all are in charge, you know what happens? Yeah, same thing. What we need is to surrender and say, God, I need you. I need you to lead me. And his words are poignant. If we try to save our lives, we'll lose them. And if we lay our lives down, we find real life. Oh, I'm tired of just living life, getting through the days, aren't you? I want to live the real life. I want to live the life that God has for us, the life of forgiveness, the life of redemption, the life of, of, of victory, the life of power. Not because I'm in charge, but because he's leading. He leads me. Oh, blessed thought. One more thought for you and I'm done. Someday, everyone meets the maker. There's a truth that's found in this passage that we need to grasp and and understand. Death is real. And eternity is really, really long. And someday... Every single one of us will meet our maker. 
it's so easy in the living of life to kind of forget about death. We think, oh, yeah, those people die. I know somebody who died. Y'all know somebody, somebody they died, but I'm not. I, no, not, not me. I'm here to remind you, my friends, that the day is coming. For some of it, it's sooner than later. And you say, well, some are older than others. It has nothing to do with age. We all know people who die at young ages versus people who die at older ages. It doesn't matter the day, the, how many years you've lived. It matters is the day that God says, that's it. And you're going to meet your maker. The prophet Samuel said this, we, all, we must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. We're like the pot we talked about last week that gets cracked and is useless. Friends, the day's coming when your pot's going to be cracked for the last time. And your life is going to be over. And death is coming. And try as you may, it's inevitable. So what do you need to do? Be ready. Let's be ready. Over in Hebrews, we read this. And injustice is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered up to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. Every one of us is going to face judgment. You and not me. Oh, yeah, you. Every one of us is going to face judgment. The question isn't, will you face it? The question is, will you face it alone or will you face it with Jesus? There's coming a day you and I are going to die. And oh, and by the way, you go, well, he'll come back before I die. Guess what? You still got to face him then. So we need to be ready. And I'm here to ask you this Palm Sunday. Are you ready? Have you met him? Have you come to the place where you've cried out in faith, whatever words you use, Lord, let me be with you today in paradise. Or whether it was, God, forgive me, a sinner, or you prayed the sinner's prayer, or you prayed the prayer that was in a little booklet or leaflet or whatever, but you prayed it in faith and you said, God, I need you. Some of you are saying, well, I'm, I'm a good person. Great. I'm a moral person. Great. I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad at the end. <laughs> I hope yours do too. But that's not the point. The point is, what have you done with Jesus? The crucified. And we know he will be raised. Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Maybe you need to, to come and, and I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to come and, and just kneel at an altar. Maybe you need to make a decision of some kind that in your life that you need to make public. I don't know what it is. We want to give you that opportunity this morning before we wrap up. So let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this place together, to hear the music this morning, to hear your word, to be reminded of the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus, but the death that bought for us forgiveness on the cross. We pray for those who have some type of decision they need to make this day. We pray you give them the faith to take the steps, whatever those are, forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.